After Jesus was tried before the Jewish Sanhedrin, he was taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. We're reading from Luke 23, beginning with verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Hello, Christ Church, and all of our friends joining us today. If you're with us on Facebook, say hello to others in the chat and let us know you're here. If you're on the website, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a prayer request or a praise report. And of course, you can follow along with my outline on the website or the church app. So how are you doing today? Have you experienced any spiritual battles this week? I have. Man. It happens to all of us. Yet once again, God showed up and helped me get past those lies from the father of lies and reestablished my footing upon the solid rock of my salvation, Jesus. I pray you too are experiencing the power of God's faithfulness and mercy day by day. Amen? Amen. So we're continuing to look at Holy Week, the last days of Jesus' life. What happened? What did it all mean? And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus today? Jesus told His earliest disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What did that mean for them? What does it mean for us today? Previously, we've seen that that first Palm Sunday was a day of celebration. When Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, there was great excitement, great expectation, but things didn't turn out the way they'd hoped. Monday was a day of strong emotions. Jesus wept outside Jerusalem because of the spiritual blindness of so many, and He got angry when He arrived at the temple. Instead of it being a house of prayer, it had become a marketplace of buying and selling and distractions. Tuesday was a day of teaching. The people were eager to hear, but the Jewish leaders tried to trip Him up, to trap Him with questions. Jesus confounded His critics as He kept pointing to the kingdom of God. Wednesday was a day of preparation. Jesus was aware of the sacrifice He was getting ready to make, and He took some time to prepare mentally and spiritually. Thursday was a day of fellowship and remembrance. Jesus gathered with His closest disciples to celebrate the Passover and to remember God's deliverance. In the midst of that Passover meal, 
Jesus initiated a new sacred act of remembrance among his followers. Friday turned out to be a day of treachery and injustice surrounding Jesus' arrest and trial. The events of Friday were not what any of his followers anticipated, but they were what God had intended and had foretold through the prophets. Isaiah 53.3 reads, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. As the drama of that day unfolded, three people had key roles in what took place. We want to look at their lives and their motivations today. The first one was Judas Iscariot. Jesus' arrest was preceded by Judas' decision. Somewhere along the way, Judas lost faith in Jesus. He probably had expectations of Jesus, perhaps earthly ideas and, and hopes. We know that he was interested in money. Judas kept the money for the group, and, and he helped himself to it at times, according to the Gospels. He was probably interested in power and prestige, too. Perhaps he thought that following Jesus would lead to bigger and better and greater things for him. But Jesus didn't do what Judas thought he would do. Jesus was not the kind of Messiah Judas thought he would be. Rather than establish an earthly kingdom in opposition to the Romans, Jesus spoke of a heavenly kingdom that often left him opposing the Jewish religious leaders. At some point, Judas lost faith in Jesus. After that, the only opportunity for gain left was to turn him over to the chief priests for money. And that's exactly what he did. We read in Matthew 26, 14 and 15, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. Judas lost faith in Jesus. Can that happen to us? Yes. We too can be disappointed with Jesus. Perhaps our prayers are not answered the way that we want. Or maybe our expectation of what we want Him to do in our lives is not realized. If Jesus doesn't answer my prayers or, or give me what I want, why continue to follow Him? Have you been there? Have you known anyone who has? Sometimes it's good to stop and ask the question, Why am I following Jesus? What are my reasons? I regularly remind myself, He is worthy. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. Once when Jesus asked Peter if he wanted to stop following him, like all the others were, Peter answered in John 6:68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Another person who had a special role in what happened to Jesus was Caiaphas. Caiaphas, the high priest, presided over Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. If Judas was the betrayer, Caiaphas was the schemer who made the decision that Jesus had to go. You can write schemer in the chat. But 
there had to be a trial, some semblance of a fair and just process. Matthew 26, 57 reads, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Caiaphas was the most powerful person in Israel. As high priest, he had enormous spiritual power. He was leader of the temple after the order of Aaron's priesthood. He was the only one who could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple once a year on Yom Kippur and make atonement for the people. He had enormous economic power as well. Some 20,000 priests worked for him. They were all paid through collection of the temple tax. And all Jews throughout the Roman Empire were expected to pay the temple tax. Caiaphas managed this tax system. He was politically powerful as well. The office of the high priest was appointed by Rome. He was to keep the Roman emperor happy and informed and, and work with the appointed Roman governor, who at that time was Pontius Pilate. A man who enjoys that much power is not likely to tolerate someone who threatens it. His conflict with Jesus was almost inevitable. Everywhere Jesus went, large crowds followed him. The crowds got his initial attention, and then the miracles and the wisdom of his teaching was a growing concern for Caiaphas. What if more and more people started following him? Once in the Sanhedrin, Someone had said in John 11, If we do nothing and let this man alone, then the whole nation will believe in him and follow after him. And the Romans will take away our temple, our nation, our power. In John 11:50, Caiaphas said coldly, It is better for you that one man die for the whole people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas was operating out of self-interest. They all were. And that's what we naturally do too, unless Christ changes us. For many years, I was only interested in the kingdom of Bob. What's in it for me? And you know, the Bible indicates that's our natural posture before the gospel of Jesus Christ transform, transforms our heart. What was your heart attitude? before you knew Jesus Christ. Me, I was selfish, self-centered. And then when I encountered Jesus and His kingdom, I realized I fall short. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And Christ saved me. And He began His work to transform me. Now I'm trying to live according to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Bob. What can I be doing for, for God's sake and for the sake of, the, of others? How can I live to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and love my neighbor as myself? And I've come to love Jesus' church, the body of Christ. It provides ongoing opportunity for me to know, love, and serve Jesus and to let His love and grace continue to impact my life. Well, there was a mock trial and many abuses of Jewish law in that kangaroo trial that took place. 
there were lots of false accusations made and, and witnesses whose stories didn't line up. Jesus didn't do much to answer the charges either. This got under the skin of the elders. Jesus' answer about His divinity upset them the most. They were looking for evidence in His teaching or actions to use to have Him put to death, but they couldn't come up with any. Finally, Caiaphas acted. Matthew 26, 63 reads, The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Interestingly, Caiaphas had probably heard this claim from all the stories surrounding Jesus. Remember, angels had declared it before his birth. He will be called the Son of God. Satan had implied it while tempting Jesus in the desert. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Unclean and evil spirits shouted it when being cast out. What do you want to do with us, Son of God? Peter had said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus didn't go around trumpeting this throughout His ministry. But here, in front of Caiaphas and the others, he does answer his question. In Matthew 26, 64, he says, Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, this really upset them. Jesus' words echoed the prophet Daniel's vision in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, where he said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, Jesus' words to Caiaphas and the others implied that He was that Son of Man who would sit at the right hand of God and would come on the clouds. That was too much for them to take. Their theology didn't allow mere mortals to have that kind of relationship with God. Matthew 26, 65 reads, Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. Then as now, questions about Jesus' divinity still trip people up. It's a major stumbling block that people of other faiths and, and genuine skeptics have today. How do we understand the notion that Jesus was truly human and truly divine? Based on his own claims, C.S. Lewis indicated Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. The witness of the Scriptures of the apostles and the early church community is that Jesus is the Anointed One, 
God's Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the suffering servant who would give up his life as a ransom for the world. That has been the witness of the church through the centuries. And it is the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives today. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His who? His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, for Caiaphas and the others, Jesus' words were too much. They had their justification to go to Pilate, the governor, with their trumped-up charges. So they did. Initially, Pilate did not want to hand Jesus over to be crucified. Three different times in Luke's gospel, Pilate tried to release Jesus. First, they said, He, Jesus, opposes paying taxes, and he claims to be Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Yes, it is as you say. Pilate told them, I find no basis for a charge against this man. They said, He stirs up the people all over Judea with his teachings. He's a threat to us and to Rome. Pilate tells them, You say he's inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I find no basis for your charges. He's done nothing to deserve death. But they shouted, Away with this man! Crucify him! Crucify him! Luke twenty-two twenty-three reads, For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. Pilate wanted to do the right thing. He could tell these were trumped up charges. When the chief priests, Caiaphas, crowd wouldn't budge, he tried to go directly to the people. At the feast of the Passover, there was a custom to release a prisoner chosen by the people. He thought surely he'd win Jesus' release with this. He offered to release Barabbas, a notorious criminal, or Jesus, who he believed was innocent. The chief priests swayed the crowd. The people were shouting, Release Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! The injustice that surrounded Jesus' trial reminds us that injustice can and does happen in our world. If it can happen with false and trumped-up charges around Jesus' life, it can happen to others as well. We have to work against injustice today in every way. Regarding the injustice that would be done to God's suffering servant, Isaiah the prophet had foretold in Isaiah 53, 7-8, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. In the end, seeking to do the expedient thing, Pilate turned Jesus over. Pilate shirked his responsibility. He could have stopped the mob and insisted on doing what was right. He could have stood up for justice against the crowd. Instead, he caved 
and did the easy thing. Post caved in the chat. Mark 15, 15 reads, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. What an injustice. It wasn't right. Three men were particularly involved. Judas lost faith in Jesus. He turned him over and in the end regretted it. He hanged himself. Caiaphas, blinded by power, was a schemer to the end. Yet in A.D. 36, he was removed as high priest. Pilate initially tried to do right, but caved in to the crowd. According to some traditions, in A.D. 39, the Roman emperor Caligula ordered Pontius Pilate to death by execution or suicide. By other accounts, Pontius Pilate was sent into exile and committed suicide of his own accord. Three men, each deeply involved during that fateful Thursday night and Friday morning. And yet the injustice surrounding Jesus' trial led to our salvation and freedom. Such is the love and grace of God. God be praised. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, Almighty God, You are a God of justice and righteousness and truth. Yet when it came to paying the price for our sin, for our salvation, You allowed a great injustice to be done. Like a lamb being sled to the slaughter, Jesus was oppressed and afflicted. He was treated unjustly by various people along the way. We see ourselves in those various faces. Judas, who lost faith when his expectations were not realized. Caiaphas, who was blinded by power and motivated by self-interest. The soldiers who mocked and mistreated Jesus along the way. Pilate, who in the end did the easy thing rather than the right thing. We see ourselves in the crowd who shouted, Free Barabbas, the murderer, and crucify Jesus the King. It was madness, true injustice, and yet your eternal plan was also unfolding that day. Lord, we glory in your wisdom and majesty. As we continue to ask, what does it mean to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you? Help us seek justice and fight against injustice wherever we find it today. In Jesus' name we've prayed. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, I hope the message spoke to you today. Though Jesus was unjustly tried and condemned, that injustice led to our freedom, our salvation. If you have questions about the message, let me hear from you. If you'd like to visit more about having this new life in Jesus Christ, I'd love to visit with you about that too. Maybe you've joined us today and you have prayer requests or praise reports. Send them to us. We want to hear from you. Use the app or go to the website. Are you grateful for God's blessing in your life? Giving back is a tangible way to thank God for His generosity. 
You can use text to give the app. You can go to the website. You can mail in contributions. Your generosity makes a tremendous difference. Thank you. Be sure to take advantage of our discipleship opportunities. Find all the information you need on our website, cumctulsa.com. God bless you today. Remember, Jesus' experience of oppression and injustice was for you. Look forward to these upcoming opportunities. For now, how can Jesus' experience of injustice inspire you to seek justice and righteousness and peace for someone that you know today? Hey, Lisa. Hey, Brittany. I have a chicken-proof lawn. A chicken-proof lawn? It's impeccable. We have many options for Easter morning worship. Beginning at 6.30 a.m., Dr. Mansfield and Mike Honecker will lead a sunrise service at LaFortune Park. At 9.30 and 11 a.m., we'll also have a wonderful Easter worship experience in person and online, featuring outstanding instruments, beautiful singing, and a powerful message about our hope in Jesus Christ. Is change really possible? Is there power from beyond ourselves to help? What does the scripture say? Beginning this Tuesday, March 23rd at 6.30 p.m., Kathy Fifes will facilitate a six-week Zoom Bible study titled The Power to Change. We hope you'll join us. The Fellowship Board has been working on some events that we can all participate in. And today, we'd like you to take a hike. We're headed outside. Take a hike will start at the trailhead of Turkey Mountain, which is the lower parking lot, at 2 p.m. You can hike alone, in pairs, or in groups. Grab your friends and let's move. You can find all this information and more on our website, cumctulsa.com.